read. Yes, I had spent most of this week at Camp Kedron, which was really a blessing. Get to share the gospel with young people, and I had a, a delightful conversation with a young, young skeptic. He was really a thinker, and I appreciated his honesty. Not all skeptics are as honest as he was, and he, he thought about, he was really wrestling with the idea of what it would mean to follow Jesus and how it would change his life, and, and he said, I really need to see evidence. I need it from a primary source. So I said, well, that's what we have in the Gospels. We have four primary sources that all talk about Christ's coming and the deeds he did, the things he spoke, including his death, his resurrection. I mean, two eyewitness accounts are enough to uh, have a very strong legal case against someone, and God's given us much more than that. When you think about resurrection, that's not a word we use very often, especially not in a literal sense. We might say, oh, his career was resurrected figuratively, but it's very rare when someone, oh, it's extremely rare. When I say rare, it's very, very rare that someone is raised from the dead uh, after three days of being in the grave. And that's just as real, that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is as real as him coming to this earth. It's inescapable based upon the evidence. And if Jesus did not rise from the dead, then he might as well never been born. That's how significant his resurrection is, that he came, that he died on the cross for the sins of the world. He rose from the dead, and consider what that means. He ascended to the Father, and we'll be in Luke chapter 24 today as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And as I read through the gospel accounts, this particular passage in Luke 24, starting in verse 36, stood out to me because I'd never heard it preached on on a Easter service, so we'll just go into new territory together. Let's thank the Lord and ask his blessing upon this message. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth of the gospel that Jesus Christ was sent to seek and to save the lost, and that through his death and his resurrection, we have new life through the gospel. Lord, I thank you that you have shown and demonstrated your love for us, that we, when we were yet sinners, Jesus died for us. And I pray, Lord, that you would fill us with your spirit, you give us understanding of your word today, and that we would truly celebrate and stand in awe of how awesome and amazing you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So a quick recap. Jesus was betrayed by Judas. He was arrested by the Jews out of envy. He was brutally crucified by the Romans to satisfy a mob. And he was confirmed dead by a Roman centurion. He was taken down from the cross, wrapped in linen, placed in a tomb carved out of the rock. And there he lay for three days with the tomb covered with a large stone that was sealed by the governor, guarded by Romans. So every, every uh, step was taken to secure the tomb and on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and others came to anoint the body of Jesus, as was customary, and they wondered, how are we going to get to the body? Because it's covered by this massive stone. How, how, who are we going to get at this hour to move that stone for us? And when they arrived at the tomb, they were shocked to find that it was empty, that the stone had been rolled away, and they were met by men in shining garments, these angelic messengers 
in Luke 24, verse 5, that says, Then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. They remembered his words. They returned with this message to the disciples who were in hiding at that time. Their master had just been killed, and they were wondering what would befall them as followers of Christ. Would they suffer the same fate? And they were hiding uh, in hiding at that time, and they did not believe the testimony of the women. Then two men, two people, we don't know who they were exactly, um, came who were on the way to Emmaus, and Jesus met with them on the road. And as he stayed with them that night and he broke the bread, they realized it was Jesus. And they went back to Jerusalem and they told the disciples that they had met Jesus in the way. And as they're talking with them, that's where our passage begins. Jesus appearing to the disciples in Luke 24, verse 36. Now, as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were terrified and frightened and supposed they had seen a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. But while they did not still believe for joy and marveled, he said to them, Have you any food here? So they gave him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb. And he took it and ate it in their presence. They're having this discussion. We've seen Jesus. The ladies, they said they saw Jesus this morning. And there was these, there were these angelic messengers in this. Like, what do we make of these? This is not what we expect. You know, we're mourning the loss of our Savior. And you're telling us he's alive. And as they're discussing this and doubting what it could mean, Jesus himself stands. He's just there. He didn't need anyone to roll the stone away for him to leave. It wasn't like he was like drumming his fingers, waiting for the angel to move the stone. No, he was able to move because he was glorified now. He could just appear where he wants to. Yet he has a body like we have. So he was in a glorified state. Death for him was his path into immortality and glory. As he's standing there, they're thinking, we are seeing a ghost. This is not happening. They're just, they're still in disbelief. And Jesus gives them all these evidences that he is indeed really there. He has truly risen from the dead. And he starts by knowing the thoughts of their hearts. That's something we see throughout his whole life, that he could, he knew what people were thinking. He could tell what their thoughts were. And as he's standing there, he says, why are doubts in your hearts? Why are you doubting? Then he says, he presented his scars to them. He says, look at my hands and feet. Touch me. So look at me. Listen to me. Touch me. Realize that I still have the same power I've always had to know the thoughts of your hearts. And then he finally says, do you have any food here? I'll eat it to show you that I'm not a spirit, that I am a real tangible person just like you, but glorified. And you think about, we talk about needing evidence to believe in Jesus. Well, think of all the evidence the disciples had, and they still doubted. Jesus was physically there. They touched him. They heard him. He revealed the doubt that was in their hearts. 
He ate food in front of them. Like, what more could he possibly have done? And yet, when we see him leaving, it says that some doubted. So even the disciples can doubt. We can still doubt. Maybe you see yourself as having great faith in God. But we can be like the disciples. We forget what Jesus has said. We forget what he's promised. And in a tragic moment, we doubt the promises of God. Now, the evidence, there is evidence in the Bible. All these eyewitnesses, he was seen by 500 people at one time, the Bible tells us. And the fact that Jesus' power to save and transform lives is happening in this church, in this world today, it's proof that Jesus is alive because dead things have no power. At camp, we talked about um, when things are dead, you don't have to be afraid of them anymore, like a mozzie. You know, the mozzies were thick in the, at the camp at times. And when you've smashed one on the wall, you're not worried about that one biting you again because it's dead. But see, Jesus, he died. He was resurrected. All of his power is still intact, and he's given it to his followers, as we'll see. He still heals people. He still forgives, transforms, and makes new. Verse 44, then he said to them, these are the words which I spoke to you when I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. The Bible is not a book of fables or myths or folklore. It's a volume of history and the wisdom of God where Jesus Christ is the central figure. And we see that here. He says, in the law, in Moses, in the prophets, in the Psalms, even the songs you sung, those are speaking about me. There's references to me all throughout. And he began to open up the scriptures to them. And it says he opened up their understanding so that they could actually understand and connect what he was saying. Jesus said in Matthew 24, 35, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. God's word is more solid and trustworthy. It's stronger than the atoms that bind this universe together. This world is going to end. But God's word, it's everlasting. Moses said, just to give you a couple of examples, in Deuteronomy 18.18, he said, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brethren and will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And Jesus fulfilled that in being even more than a prophet, but the Son of God. Both Peter and Paul quoted from Psalm 16, 10 and 11 as a fulfillment of Christ's resurrection. It reads, For you will not leave my soul in Sheol, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. What joy we have when we know that Jesus has destroyed death, that there's no fear of death anymore because he's given us new life, where he says, O grave, where is your sting? O death, where is your victory? Thanks be to God. He's given us the victory through Jesus Christ. So this word, when it says, opened their understanding. See, in their scrolls, they didn't have cross-references like we have. There was no, it was hard for them or really impossible without the help of God to connect what was said in Moses or the prophets or the Psalms concerning Christ. 
we have a lot of helps these days. There's a lot of commentaries that we can look up. And uh, But even with cross-referencing and Google or the Blue Letter Bible, unless we have help from God, we cannot connect different parts of the Bible together and then actually connect them to our lives or the power of them to our life. On our own, we're not able to arrive at the correct interpretation of what God's saying. But this word open, the Greek word means to open thoroughly, literally as a firstborn. So it's like they had the, they had the scripture inside them as far as they remembered it. They were familiar with it. But when Jesus opened their understanding, it was like they were giving birth to new understanding that they just had inside. The, the truth of God's word was in them, but it actually was born that moment where they were like, whoa, that was talking about you? That means this now? They were able to connect it with their own life. And that's something that is God's will for everyone. He didn't just give us his word so we could keep it at an arm's length and say, well, this is pretty technical stuff, but that we could know God and that we could connect the truth of Scripture to our own lives in practice and have strength to walk in his ways through his Holy Spirit. Only God can do this and praise him that he does. So verse 46, Then he said to them, Thus it is written, Thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. And so he says, It was necessary for me, the Messiah, to suffer and to die, and that repentance and remissions of sin should be preached here, and then to the whole world. There were eyewitnesses there of Christ's death who had seen him die, but they hadn't connected the fact that he rose from the dead and what that means, that he had victory over death. That Jesus came so his blood could be shed to redeem sinners so we could be born again through the Holy Spirit and have new life. We could have eternal life through him. Crucifixion is painful business but it was necessary to accomplish God's plan of salvation. And there's a lot of trials and difficulties that we will face in this life, which are not punishments from God, but they are necessary to accomplish his plans to save us and others. If Jesus was not lifted up and crucified, he could not have fulfilled God's plan. And our life, we know that it's connected to his. And it's amazing to think that God can even take the suffering of your life and have it connected with others that will work for their salvation. We have salvation through Jesus Christ, but our testimony and the comfort with which we've been comforted, we can now comfort others in Christ's name. We're, most of us are, are likely not um, called to be physically crucified to the cross, but we are called to die to self so that the life of Christ can be lived out through us. And when we die to self, he receives the glory. That means putting aside my own dreams, my own ambitions for my life, and saying, God, my life is yours. I am a sinner, but you have washed me. You have made me clean. Your life is now in me. And since you've purchased me, 
I am your man, I am your woman forever. He talks about sending the promise of the Father. And in the book of Acts, chapters 1 and 2, it describes this coming upon of the Holy Spirit, that we have the Holy Spirit within us, but as the Holy Spirit comes upon us when we're thirsty and we desire the living water, that He will come upon us in power and He gives the Spirit to those who ask Him, to those who trust Him and obey Him, and it allows His good works and gifts to flow through our lives and minister to other people. The disciples wanted Jesus to establish the kingdom of Israel, but God wanted to establish his kingdom in the hearts of everyone who trusts in him, and that he would give them power to accomplish that work through his spirit. So don't make, don't make the mistake of reducing baptism with the Holy Spirit to speaking in tongues. Speaking in tongues may accompany baptism with the spirit, but the book of Acts clearly demonstrates there's no set pattern or formula to follow to be filled with the Holy Spirit and to be used by Him to do His work. We can't earn the filling of the Spirit. It's just like you cannot, through your efforts, make the rain to fall. The tree cannot make the wind blow its leaves. It must be responsive to the the wind that blows. God has promised the Holy Spirit for us and for our children to all whom our Lord will call, and it's good for those who are thirsty because he's living water that satisfies our souls. Last bit here in verse 50. And he led them out as far as Bethany and lifted up his hands and blessed them. Now it came to pass while he blessed them that he was parted from them and carried up into heaven, and they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Amen. After his resurrection, Jesus ascended into heaven. That means that he went up. He went up in their sight into heaven. And there's about a month gap, a little bit over, between the preceding uh, moments where he's speaking to them in in, uh, where they're in hiding when he appeared and his being raised to heaven. We know that because of Acts chapter 1, verse 2 through 4. It says, until the day in which he was taken up, after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen to whom he presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So for 40 days, Jesus proved that he was a real person, that he had risen from the dead, and it was undeniable evidence that he presented to him during this time. But it doesn't appear that he stayed with them continually. He would appear and then he'd be gone. He would appear, and then they would be separated. Remember, they were fishing one time. Jesus wasn't with them until they saw him on the beach, and they they didn't know that it was Jesus right away until they started catching fish um, that they couldn't even pull into the boat. Now, verse 50, it says that Jesus led them as far as Bethany. It's on the Mount of Olives, which is a Sabbath day journey, which is about half a mile. The Jews had certain rules that you could only travel so much on the Sabbath day. And so it's about half a mile is as far as he went. They had no idea that Jesus would be leaving them permanently. But as he blessed them, he suddenly ascended to heaven out of their sight, concealed by a cloud. And what was the response of the people? It says, they worshiped Jesus, knowing they had met God. 
That's who Jesus claims to be. He claims to be God made flesh. And he proved it through his death and his resurrection. And those many infallible proofs, and many of us here, we are living proof of his life, that he has transformed us, he's taken us from darkness into light, he has freed us from addictions, he has freed us from fears, he has freed us from things that held us captive, and we have been redeemed, we have been washed, and we have a joy and a peace that we never knew until we placed our faith in Christ. And this picture, it says they worshipped him, they praised him, they went to the temple, they were continually there praising God. This is really a picture of how our lives should be after following Jesus. That there's great joy to be had in praising the Lord. They did what Jesus told them to do. Remember, it says commands. He did give them commands. He said, wait here until you receive the promise of the Father. And he didn't tell them how long. Turns out it's probably about 10 more days. But they waited, and then God poured out his spirit upon them. Our love for God is not expressed through romantic feelings, but through obedience to what he said. He says, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you love someone, you'll do what they ask you to do. In fact, you will try to find ways to please them that they didn't even ask you to do. And that's how we show our love for God. Now, today, there's no temple in Jerusalem. If you go to the Western Wall, you'll see there's no temple. So it's not that God is commanding us to go to a place. But we'll see that the Holy Spirit has made followers of Jesus the temple of the Holy Spirit. So the whole, we are now, as Christians, the temple of the Holy Spirit. And we don't have to go anywhere physically to find the presence of God because he dwells within us. And we're able to walk in his power and to receive his joy and to um, just be filled with his presence at all times. The Holy Spirit is the seal of God's ownership upon us. It's also the down payment that God is going to make good on his promise of eternal life. So to have the Holy Spirit within you is an amazing, amazing thing. What a gracious gift that Jesus would come to save us, and by his victory on Calvary, that the presence of God can dwell in our hearts. Just want to turn to one last passage in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16 through 24. Now, if you've lived life for any amount of time, you know that life is filled with pain and difficulty, disappointments, disillusioning times. And we think like, well, how can we possibly be joyful in these difficult times when we see the uncertainty in the world, when we have worries and, and cares and concerns, whether it's financial difficulties or on a global scale or um, just pain and depression? Know that when you receive Jesus Christ, you will have the power to do the things he asks you to do because it'll be him helping you to do it. And this is the command that was given to the church in Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16. Listen to this. Understand you cannot do this except God help you. It says, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Test all things. Hold fast what is good. 
abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, who will also do it. It's God's work in each one of us. And so we can rejoice always. In everything, give thanks. Pray without ceasing. We can hold fast to what is good. And I love that bit at the end where it said, may you be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, Jesus, when he ascended into heaven, he always said, I'm coming back. So be ready. He's alive. He's risen. He's at the Father's right hand, even now, interceding for us. And followers of Jesus can be compared to servants who have been given charge over their master's goods. And he says, I will require an account someday of how you've lived your life, how you've used my things. And we can rejoice in that. And we can cling to what is good and be preserved blameless, that we can boldly come before God joyfully with thanksgiving today and every day because of what Jesus has done. He is risen, and let us celebrate our living God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you for his resurrection. Thank you for the new life that you've given us, that you've called us to do things for your glory. And Lord, I confess I am unable to do the first thing you've asked me. However, through you, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And thank you that that's true for every follower of Jesus. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your power and your new life. That even as Jesus has risen from the dead, through trust in him, we too will live forever and be glorified and spend forever in your presence. Thank you for sending the Holy Spirit even now to fill our hearts and to change our minds, and to give us hearts that are like yours. Thank you, Lord, again for this time to gather and remember and to celebrate all that you've done. And may we be as those disciples who praised you continually and blessed your holy name. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.